Please join with me in prayer. Our Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, asking that you would pour out your Spirit upon us as your Word has been read. And now as I have the uh, joy to proclaim it, I ask uh, that Christ would be um, our goal. We would respond to His grace. We ask these things in His name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why the Bible was written as a collection of stories rather than a religious rule book? You know, if you took out all the stories and simply listed all the good things that God has done for us and all the ways that we are to respond to God, the Bible is much more concise. The average Bible is about 1,200 pages long. To read the Bible once a year takes quite a bit of discipline. You have to open your Bible every day and read between three and four pages a day in order to get through the Bible in a year. But if there are no stories, the Bible would probably be less than 50 pages. You could, with that same commitment to read, you could get through the Bible every 14 days. So why all the stories? Well, God knows that stories persuade us that simple statements would never be able to do. That's why Jesus preached his sermons by using so many parables and illustrations. He was able to persuade people without throwing around so many commands and rules. Our sermon text this morning is a story. We have the story of when Mary, the mother of Jesus, traveled uh, south down into Judea to see her Aunt Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. The story moves around the responses to Jesus um, as Mary was carrying him in her womb. First, we're going to see John's response to Jesus. Then we're going to see Elizabeth's response to Jesus. And then lastly, we'll see Mary's response to Jesus. And in each case, the Bible expects you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ in light of their responses. The Bible's giving us these stories to help you in your response to Jesus Christ. In some fashion or another, all of us here this morning will respond to Jesus Christ. In a crowd this size, there's uh, likely to be a wide sweep of responses to Jesus Christ. Some may respond with curiosity. Others may respond with skepticism. Still others with just plain indifference or hostility. While still others will respond to Jesus with trust, with praise and surrender to Him. So I want to ask you this morning, since it is a foregone conclusion that you're going to have to respond to Jesus Christ this morning, what will be your response? If you were here last week, you will remember the angel Gabriel told Mary uh, back in verse 36 that her aunt 
had conceived a son in her old age. And she was uh, six months uh, into her pregnancy. And because Mary believed the, the word of God given by the angel, Mary set out to visit her aunt. Remember, Mary was uh, in, northern, in the northern Galilee district, while uh, her aunt Elizabeth and, and uncle Zechariah were down uh, in the foothills uh, of Judea. It was about a hundred mile journey, between 80 and 100 miles. Uh, it would have taken at least uh, three or four days to make that one-way trip. But she believed the word of Gabriel, and she set off to make that trip to visit her aunt, whom Gabriel told her was carrying um, the forerunner to the Messiah. When Mary entered Elizabeth's house and she greeted her aunt, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. Verse 44 says uh, that the baby leapt for joy. You will remember that Gabriel had told Zechariah way back in verse 15 of Luke uh, chapter 1 that his child would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Why would John the Baptist leap for joy while still in his mother's womb? Philip Ryken has noted that Jesus later said that John was the greatest Old Covenant prophet because he was the one who was called to announce the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus was the Messiah, the Lord of the New Covenant. So when Mary met Elizabeth, what happened was the two, the two covenants connected, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so there was a, a spontaneous outburst of joy as the Old Covenant greeted the New Covenant. John leapt for joy in his mother's womb. Phil Riken goes on to say something else that I think is pretty cool. Um, he said, John the Baptist was the only child ever to use a womb For a pulpit, in the liquid darkness of his mother's womb, the unborn child kicked for joy, leaping at the sound of Mary's voice, and in this way he began to fulfill his calling to announce the coming of Christ while still in utero. John responded, he did this not because he was precocious, not because he was, you know, smarter than any other child that's ever been in the womb. John was only able to do this because the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he was in the presence of the Messiah. No one is able to respond with love for Jesus without the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to them. If your response to Jesus this morning is only curiosity, or skepticism, or indifference, or consternation. At bottom, it means that the Holy Spirit has not yet revealed to you the glory and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have never responded to Jesus in faith, don't give up hope. Ask God to reveal Christ to you. Ask Him to enlighten the eyes of your heart 
that you may comprehend how great and how glorious is Christ, the Savior of sinners. Of us who believe Jesus Christ can understand perfectly John's response of joy. When we wake up each day and we go about our business, Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him, we're not doing it in order to try and get to heaven or get extra blessings. We simply are seeking to please and serve Jesus because we love Him. He is our joy and our delight. From the moment that the Holy Spirit revealed us and we fled to Him and entrusted ourselves to Him, we have loved Him. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to remove our alienation from God by reconciling us through His death on the cross. Jesus came to break bondage to evil by giving us a renewed, transformed nature that loves righteousness. Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life with Him. And He didn't have to do this for us. It was costly for Him to do this for us. But He loves us so much. This is why He is our joy and our delight. This is why we leap for joy like John the Baptist. When we come to know our Lord and Savior. Elizabeth's response to Jesus is very similar to John's response. Verse 41 says that she too was filled with the Holy Spirit and responded with joy. But there's another element to her response that stands out. She was also filled with humility. In verse 43 she asked, Why is it granted to me that my Lord should come to me? You know, typically, a younger visitor would show deference to the older host. You know, the Mary travels four days and shows up at Elizabeth's door. As the visitor, you would show deference to the host. But here's Elizabeth. Why is it? Why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me. Elizabeth, herself an unworthy host. She sees herself as unworthy of a visit from the mother of her Lord. It's a very remarkable response to Mary's visit. But it's also a very common response for all those who enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Meeting Jesus Christ is deeply humbling. To receive His grace with knowledge that we need His grace. To receive His forgiveness, we must acknowledge that we have sin that we have sins that need forgiving. To be reconciled uh, to God by Jesus, we must acknowledge that we were alienated from God and under His wrath. And so. To come to the Lord Jesus Christ, by definition, takes humble part. Furthermore, when we meet Jesus Christ and we recognize His Lordship over our lives, 
that also means that we are going to be humbled. Elizabeth cried um, that the mother of her Lord had come to visit her. Jesus Christ was not only uh, the mother of her Lord, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ was not only um, her Lord, but uh, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of every human being. Jesus Christ is your Lord. He is your boss. He is your king. Have you responded to him by bowing your head to wear his yoke around your neck that you might be ruled? There's there's more we could say about Elizabeth's response to Jesus, but I want to make sure we have adequate time to consider Mary's response. In a word, Mary's response to Jesus is jaw-dropping. Verses 46 and through 55 is her spontaneous response to Christ. We know it today as Mary's magnificent. First line um, says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And so as she's magnifying the Lord, it is her magnificent he is greatly exalting God. Magnificent is such a beautiful and theologically complex example of Hebrew poetry that the uh, more liberal scholars used to believe an uneducated preteen. Remember, she's only about twelve or thirteen at the time. Um, could have composed such a masterpiece. The liberal scholars, however, display their own shallow of the Old Testament. Mary uh, she was stringing together rather several well-known songs of praise from the Old Testament. Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, her, her prayer of thanksgiving for the baby uh, that was given to her. Remember, God gave uh, um, Hannah, who was barren. She gave um, God gave uh, Samuel to her, and so in chapter two, she uh, lets loose with this expansive uh, prayer of thanksgiving to God, and it's Mar- it's Hannah's prayer that Mary is using as the foundation. Uh, for her prayer. It's the backbone of her magnificent. Um, she, she quoted several lines from Hannah's prayer. She also added lines from Deborah's song of triumph in Judges chapter 5, as well as Miriam's song of victory in Exodus chapter 15. It's likely that Mary could not read, but she grew up in the synagogue singing the great hymns of the Old Testament. Singing Hannah's prayer, singing Deborah's song of triumph, singing uh, Miriam's song of victory after the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. In other words, even though it is likely that Mary could not read, Mary knew her Bible. Parents, teaching your children to sing the psalms or to sing the great hymns of the faith is a tremendous way 
for them to learn the faith, to learn the Scriptures. Mary knew her Bible. You know, there's a second, uh, a secondary reason Mary was able to, to compose such a rich and complex poem of high praise for God on the spur of the moment. Just as John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, so also was Mary. Mary's words ultimately came from God the Holy Spirit. Mary was singing the hymns she knew. She was composing a prayer spontaneously. But it was the exact prayer that God, by the Holy Spirit, intended that she compose. The Holy Spirit was carrying her along to put it in the words of Peter. Her poem is, in effect, a prophetic utterance about what God is going to do through the child that she is carrying in her womb. And Mary begins her prayer by magnifying God. To magnify means to enlarge. It means to make great. So Mary's been given this unspeakable gift of being the mother of the Lord. But as she begins her prayer, she looks completely outside herself. She puts herself nearly outside the scope of this poem. She mentions herself in passing, but her real desire is to make her God great. Look at verses 46 through 50. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. As was the case with with Elizabeth, Mary is deeply humbled by God's grace to her. She's basically asking, why me? Why would God take notice of me? There's nothing special about me. She simply says in verse 48 that God has looked on her humble estate, the humble estate of His servant. Now, if you read it in the Greek, the true sense of how she saw herself becomes very clear. A very literal rendering of verse 48 says, God has looked on the humiliation of His slave girl. When one meets Jesus Christ and receives His free gift of grace, it brings us very low in our estimation of ourselves. We know we can't save ourselves. But we know that God Almighty sent His Son to die for a wretch like me and a wretch like you. Why me, God? I don't deserve it. And we're humbled deeply. But in reality, our status has risen immeasurably. Because God has made us one of His dearly loved children. He has adopted us into the family of the redeemed. The second half of Mary's Magnificent is very interesting because of the way she treats the verbs in verses 51 through 55. 
She's speaking of things that God will do through the Messiah in the future. But she puts all the verbs in the past tense. <coughs> I know we have a few um, Greek students here. And so I'll say that they're all in the aorist tense. They're all in the simple past tense. So she's speaking of the future. Things that the Messiah will do, but she's saying that he's already done them. What's going on here? Well, listen to verses 51 through 55. And listen especially for the past tense. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the poor in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Basically, what's happening here is she's using a a technique used by many of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, They would use the past tense to speak of future events. And these, uh, when they do this, it's called, the scholars call this prophetic errorist, prophetic past tense. It's a very effective way of saying that the things that God has promised to do are so certain to be done because God is faithful. The prophets will illustrate um, God's faithfulness by speaking as if it's already been done, as if it's in the past tense, even though it is yet to happen. So in verses 51 through 53, Mary is telling us that the child in her womb will do these things. And we could, we could sum up what she's saying in one word. He's going to bring a reversal. The great and the proud will be brought low and scattered, while the humble and the low of the earth will be exalted. Listen again to verses 51 through 53. Listen for this note of reversal. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The proud, the powerful, God is bringing down. The humble and the hungry, he is lifting up. How should we understand what Mary is prophesying here? In one sense, we should understand that uh, she is speaking in a spiritual sense. When one trusts uh, in the Messiah, by necessity, one is brought low. We've already touched on that in this sermon, like Mary and Elizabeth. While at the same time, they are receiving an exalted position as as a child of God. We're brought low, we're lifted high. But there's another sense that gets uh, closer to what she's saying. There is a physical fulfillment that uh, Mary's speaking of. Those who have a high and exalted status in society are generally not as open to the gospel uh, or ready to receive the gospel as those who are poor, those who are less educated, 
those who have less status in society. You know, the people in College Hill are very open to talk about spiritual things. You know, Jimbo walks up to people all the time. You want to hear a word from the Lord? Everybody wants to hear a word for the Lord from the Lord. I, I've never seen anyone turn him down in College Hill. But uh, you walk around some of our neighborhoods, people don't want to hear. Um, you know, the difficulty um, in College Hill is not that people are willing to hear. The difficulty is there's so much superstition, so much bad bad teaching. Uh, that you must cut through, that it takes uh, people a while uh, for them to become a Christian. You have to keep teaching the truth over and over and over. You have to keep correcting their superstitious um, and, and, uh, and misinformed thoughts. And then all of a sudden you, you, you talk to them one day and they are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in more affluent uh, communities, they don't want to hear about the gospel unless it's on their own terms. They're more resistant to being called to account. They are more resistant to being challenged in their basic assumptions. They are more resistant to being humbled in their response to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary is saying that those who are exalted now, those who are proud in their estimation of themselves, those who are... um, lording themselves over other people unrighteously. That they are exalted now and are unwilling to be brought low in the world. They will be brought low and scattered in the world to come. I very much appreciate Lloyd-Jones' comments at this point. He says, Can you not see that everything that man boasts in, his intellect, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, his codes, every one of them is utterly demolished by the Son of God. In other words, the world, both individuals, and entire nations must respond to Jesus Christ in joyful trust. Like John the Baptist. Like Elizabeth. Like Mary. And they must embrace Christ in humility. Otherwise, they will not stand on the day of judgment. We know that this reversal that Mary is prophesying is a certainty because the greatest reversal in all history has already happened. The God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, left the glory of heaven. He consented to come down and be, um, to be born from this lowly, young, uneducated Hebrew girl. He grew up in poverty. He endured the animosity of the world so that He could endure the shameful death on the cross for you and for me. He went to that cross for sinners. Born a lowly birth. Lived a lowly, despised life. 
died a shameful death. But the great reversal is, he rose in glory. He is... Uh, he ascended to the right hand of God and is seated in eternal and inexhaustible glory. And He did it for us. And because He has done it, glory is available to us. But to all who in their response to Jesus do not embrace Him in joyful trust, in Humbled love. Any exaltation that they have enjoyed in this life will be cast down as they are cast out of God's presence forever and ever. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a loving and glorious Savior. He came here for sinners like you and me. Trust in Him. Respond to Him. You have no other choice. You must respond. Respond in faith, trust, and joy. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we are before you, I pray that every person here, knowing that they indeed have responded, even if it is in uh, indifference and hostility, I pray that by your Spirit, You would cause us all to embrace Jesus Christ, to respond to Him in faith and joy. We ask in His name. Amen.